Probably, um, it's, it's been probably about 10 years ago that um, um, I read a book, a particular book, and uh, like most books, you read it, uh, you're moved by it, and then you largely forget about it. Just don't do that with the Bible. Um, read it, don't forget about it. Um, and then recently I was looking at a little Christmas book uh, devotional, and the devotional quoted from this other book that I had seen Oh, about 10 years ago, reminded me of it, and I went and found it again. It's called Moments with the Savior by Ken Geyer, and um, I rediscovered an old friend. One um, reading from this book in particular I just wanted to share with you this morning and uh, let it be our devotional, our message this morning. Um, Ken starts out uh, with a scripture passage, which I'll read, and uh, meditation, Uh, I'll include a little application, and then uh, Ken has a prayer. After that, um, someone will come up in uh, in, uh, music, give us our closing benediction, and then uh, we'll be on our way. But I wanted to give Ken credit uh, for this. I've edited it. I've tweaked it a little, but uh, it's largely Ken Geyer's work, and it's from his book, uh, Moments with the Savior. And this one in particular is called An Intimate Moment with Mary and Joseph. From Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. For the census, the royal family has to travel 85 miles Joseph and Mary, being from poor families, both walk over the difficult terrain. And Mary, she is nine months pregnant, and she especially feels in her feet and in her back and in her racing heartbeat every shifting rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to negotiate even a small space on the floor. Now it's late, everyone is asleep, and there is no room. But fortunately, the The innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with his guests' animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, they were welcome to it. 
Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he tells the innkeeper without hesitation. The night is still when Joseph creaks open that stable door attached to the mouth of the cave, the cleft in the rock. As he does, a a chorus of barn animals makes discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent and humid, as there have not been enough hours in the day to tend to the guests, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp lent them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows on the walls. A disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth. Far from home, far from family, far from what she had expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint It's a relief just to finally get off her feet. She leans back against the wall, her feet swollen, back aching, contractions growing harder and closer together. Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose. Quickly. A watering trough would have to make do for a crib. There's some hay to serve as a mattress. Blankets? Blankets? Ah, his robe, that would do. And those rags hung out to dry would help. A gripping contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, either for the mother or the child. For every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that silent night. And Joseph returns breathless, water sloshing from the wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all her might, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal. Light skin as the pigment would take days or even weeks to surface. Mucus in his ears and nostrils. Wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid and blood. The Son of the Most High God, umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes and 
coughs. Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries. Mary reaches for the shivering baby. She lays him on her chest and his helpless cries subside. His tiny head bobs around on the unfamiliar terrain. This will be the first thing the infant king learns. Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse. Deity nursing from a young maiden's breath, breast. Could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder. The baby finishes and sighs. The divine word reduced to a few unintelligible sounds. Then, for the first time, his eyes fix, fascinated on his mother's. Deity straining to focus. The light of the world squinting. Tears pool in her eyes, and she touches his tiny hand and hands that once sculpted mountain ranges cling to her finger. She looks up at uh, Joseph, and through a watery veil their souls touch. He crowds closer, cheek to cheek with his betrothed. Together they stare in awe at the baby Yeshua, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It has been a long journey, and the king is tired. And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol, without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. Where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys, a few haltered cows, a, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a furtive scurry of curious barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or her joy. Yes, there were angels announcing the Savior's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collared shepherds. And yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birth, but only a few foreigners even bothered to look up, let alone follow it. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, 
The royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly by as the world slept. I think one reason why that story touches me among many is because it reminds me that we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to miss the message of Christmas. And we're in danger of missing the message of Christmas if we take that baby Jesus and we lose and we forget the point of God in sending his son in circumstances that were humble and poor and hard and difficult and treacherous and lowly and quiet. I always cringe just a little when we're quick to put Mary on a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There's no mention of a donkey in the Bible. You might be surprised to hear. Why do you suppose we put her on a donkey? To make it less difficult when perhaps God's message was pointing out how difficult it is? Historically, culturally, it's highly unlikely they owned a donkey. It'd be akin to owning a Mercedes or a Lexus today. And we know that Joseph and Mary are the poorest of the poor, assuming they're obedient to God when they're making sacrifice in the temple sometime later. They give the poorest sacrifice as a gift, a pigeon or a dove. They have no money. Why do we want to soften that stone manger with hay? Why do we want to have um, animals lowing, if that's what lowing is? Why are we quick to put the wise men at the manger? when biblically there's no clear indication that that's where they are. The Bible says the wise men find them in a house. It's recorded in a different gospel. Contextually, best biblical guess is it's two years later, hence Herod's command for two years and younger from when the star appeared. Why have the wise men there? Oh, I know. It comes from a place, too. I want to exalt him. I want those heads of state there. I want that manger comfortable. I want Mary taken care of. I want to give Jesus the royal birth that he deserves. Two. I want to. And so I want to forget about the difficulty of a teen pregnancy in the highly conservative town of Nazareth and what that must have meant for this couple.
You know, this week for the first time, have you ever caught this? I love reading the Bible and reading something that I've read hundreds of times and not catching it. Have you caught, have, has anyone ever caught this? And it's brand new to me, and maybe there's an explanation, but if you've heard it, tell me after the service, but check it out. Joseph goes to register with Mary, the Bible says. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Was that couple not married when Jesus was born? Had you ever considered that? And the scandal of not only an out-of-wedlock pregnancy, but an out-of-wedlock birth? Now, when Jesus comes again, there are going to be trumpets. And there are pictures in Revelation of the big, powerful, mighty king. But only because he went through hell first to join us there in our darkness. And I don't know if there's a stronger drumbeat in the text that is more contrary to human nature or culture than the message of true power and true strength through weakness. Don't miss that real meaning of Christmas. That true power lies when people give of themselves in weakness to others in love. And P.S. Have you ever noticed in Revelation, sure, there's those glorious, commanding, kingly, powerful pictures of Jesus that John sees in his vision. But in the middle of it all, have you ever noticed? It's in Revelation chapter 5. Ah. All this big pomp and circumstance and stuff is going on in stuff. That's a theological term is going on in the throne room of Revelation. And John's like, oh, you got the jasper and chameleon one that is just light that he can't hardly even look at on the throne. You've got these big scary cherubim angels. It ain't Cupid, brothers and sisters. You've got these magnificent, amazing, scary angels with the heads and eyes all over them. And there's people singing at you, holy, 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 and there's these elders sitting on these chairs and they're constantly throwing down their thrones and they're bowing down and bowing down and there's this huge picture of exaltation and power of, uh, that would make anything that Caesar had look like a tinker toy. It was just, whoa! 
And in the middle even of all of that, listen to what John sees next in the midst of all of that grandeur. Then I saw a lamb, John says, looking as if it had been slain. Even then, stands Jesus, quietly, humbly, as if he's been slain. Oh, don't miss that true power of God comes in the form of weakness and giving to others. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, though there was no room for you in the inn, Grant this day that I might make abundant room for you in my heart. Though your own did not receive you, grant this hour that I may embrace you with open arms. Though Bethlehem overlooked you in the shuffle of a census, grant me the grace this quiet moment to be still and know that you are God, you whose only palace was a stable, whose only throne was a manger, whose only robes were swaddling strips of cloth. On my knees I confess that I am too conditioned to this world's pomp and pageantry to recognize God cooing in a manger. Forgive me, please. And help me understand at least some of what your birth has to teach, that divine power is not mediated through strength but through weakness, that true greatness is not achieved through the assertion of rights but through their release. And that even the most secular of things can be sacred when you are in their midst. And for those times when you yearn for my fellowship and stand at the door and knock, grant me a a special sensitivity to the sound of that knock so I may be quick to my feet. Keep me from letting you stand out in the cold or from ever sending you away to some stable. May my heart always be warm and inviting so that when you do knock, a worthy place will always be waiting. In Jesus' name.